From pursuit to fellowship, where passion runs deep, we are Combat Waterfowl, and this is In the Blind, the podcast. Welcome back to the show, In the Blind, the podcast, sitting here with my co-host, Robert Brewer. Andrew Beck, D West is not in the house tonight. He's doing cop shit again, so we're gonna we're gonna kick it off right. <laughs> oh, oh, first responder. Yeah, first responder. Second responder is at the cribo tonight. Second responder is here with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate man. you both. I feel like every single time he's not here, though, he's still with us in spirit. Uh, he's always with me in spirit. <laughs> Oh, I go to work and I hear in my head, like I I go to work, I pull my gear off the rack and I walk to the truck. I'm like, don't be a second responder today. You know what I hear every second of the day when I think about Dylan or I do something, I'm like, what would Dylan say? Like (laughs) WWDS, what pops (laughs) in my head is you ain't shit. That's all every single time you ain't shit. (laughs) <laughs> that and I, I think I'm, I th- always think about him at R&T wanting that spec call. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. It always comes in my head. But Those beers, those beers at R&T go down good, though. Yeah. You know. If you guys have never been to R&T uh, in Stuttgart, you definitely should go. It is an experience. No doubt about it. Even if they're, don't be discouraged, even if they're not uh, turning calls at that time you go. It's yeah, still, still plenty of beer to drink. Still plenty of beer to drink, even though you probably freeze your nuts off. Enjoy the patio. Fucking the memorabilia in there is so dope too, man. Their whole they have an entire call display with like years and years and years worth of calls. It's pretty legit. Yeah, it's pretty dope. Well, Check of, it out. Speaking of R and T, I mean that's uh that's kind of somewhat along the lines of what we're talking about tonight, is it not? Tuned up and piped out, baby. Let's go. <laughs> so tonight we're gonna cover gear and we're gonna cover some preseason prep. Um, so maybe some of the gear that we're gonna try out, some of the stuff we're gonna be using this year, and then some of the things that we do as waterfowl hunters to prepare ourselves for the season of life and love and hate and frustration that is what consumes our life and that is duck season nah bro that's when we sing kumbaya yeah and uh kumbaya bush light too (laughs) hey um yeah you think they'll sponsor this yeah i wish (laughs) if, if we were sponsored that's a that's something funny we should do that sometime but if 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 I was to be sponsored, I would probably be sponsored by Mountain Dew Zero, Bush Light, Little Debbie. Uh, what else would I be sponsored by? I don't know, but it <laughs> Sony Sony electronic cameras for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, Maverick drones, maybe. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So as far as like updated gear i guess that i'm gonna roll with this year all the same stuff you know your boy's decked out in sitka i can't get away from it call me what you want i'm a sitka fan but they've come out with some new stuff their their new jet stream collection is something that i'm gonna dabble into i'm going to also pick myself up a boreal jacket they came out with the aerolite last year 
And to be honest with you, I'm tired of freezing. I get cold very easily in places and times that I shouldn't, that everybody else is fine. I get cold. I explain that being a fat boy, we usually stay a little warmer. However, I get cold. So get those cold are blooded dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Um, so those are two things that I'm for sure picking up for myself. Also, last week got a dive bomb high vert uh, panel blind, and I'm pretty excited about it. Mainly because I've been wanting an A-frame style blind for myself for quite some time. And when Asher and the guys at Dive Bomb released that, they were going to announce it. I absolutely fell in love with it, and they took so many elements of other brands blinds things that they do well and put them all together and then added their own flair to it. Um, I guess for me, I'm so I'm excited about number one, the dog door and number two, the auto, the magnetic rest for the rail for your firearms. Those are two things that I'm pretty pumped about and I'm excited to get going. Have you, uh, I have not yet, so I'll disclaimer that at the beginning. Have you watched a setup and teardown video of that yet? Or I have haven't. you set up and tear down yours? It's still in the box. It just got here a few days ago. So oh, okay. it's still in the box. Um, so I have not, I have not done it. I have seen it set up and I have looked at the pieces of it and, oh, well, through photos and stuff like that, like an empty frame. And it, it looks pretty straightforward. And that's one thing that they did say was that it would be a pretty straightforward setup. So kind of a cross between the the Lucky Duck setup or more like a Avian X setup? Until I actually break it out of the box and get my hands on it, I don't know that I'll be able to accurately answer that question. I can tell you this, though. The not having not requiring me to have to get out of the blind to go and work a dog is going to be so nice. Like I'm, that's one thing I'm pumped about. The dog can keep his head and, and look out of the dog hole, see out of there, operate in and out of there. It's not like, you know, last year when we were spec hunting and the dog is basically at my feet, can't see anything. And then you got 15 people shooting Armageddon when the birds come and it just, it, it's a lot on a dog and it's a lot of energy amped up on a dog. And having the ability to not have to make every single retrieve a blind retrieve by having that dog door saves time. And, uh, and in my opinion, it, it saves, it saves the hide a little bit. You can leave the sides closed and only operate out of that dog can go out, come back, go out, come back. I can run a blind retrieve from inside the blind cast from there. I mean, it's, it's going to be a game changer for me at least. And I'm pretty pumped about it. I'm going to give it a, Pretty good world, I think, in North Dakota here in a few weeks. So um, it'll keep down the stress on the dogs as well. Yeah, I mean, you got. I mean, those a dog like that, and and Kai at that time, you know, he had been pretty much in training for two years straight. He'd done some hunts here and done some hunts there, but my purpose and my passion behind him in that situation was leaving him in training to achieve a certain level and then hunting him from there, which we, you know, we've already covered. We've already talked about, but that said, that was the first time that Kai had been shoved in a blind with 15. I don't even, was it 15 or 18 people? It was a lot of people. That was, 
Yeah, 18, 19 of us, I think. Something it was like a lot. that. Anyway, that's a lot of guns to be going off at one time for a dog process, not being able to see what's going on, having never done it. So it's not that he freaked out or anything or did anything insanely crazy. I think the first volley he broke and he had never broke before. And he got about three steps out of that blind and that hand went down on that remote and one finger spun it to as high as it'll go. And the other finger held down the continuous button. And my, my boy basically flipped himself back into blind <laughs> uh, and he figured <laughs> out that that was not a good idea. Straight out, straight back in the ditch. Yeah. He, he did a little loop de loop, um, which as he should have, that was completely entirely unacceptable. Um, so those of you out there that let your dogs break or call it a quote unquote controlled break, you're wrong. Let me just say that. This is a gear discussion, but you're wrong. And you should stop that. Um, anyway. So what new gear is Andy getting this year? Um, I think I'm gonna add uh two more C Duck rigs. Um I've got three right now. Then I've got like a a rig of pain and mallards that are all right. I want to try my hand at the crab pots. Um, it's kind of late in the year to be trying that. Um, no, it's I never got, too late. Yeah, I might get out there and piddle with it a little bit. I got a bunch of spare marine plywood and stuff like that. Um, you got a bandsaw? I don't have a bandsaw, but I have a uh, a jigsaw, so I could probably cut them easily. You need a bandsaw. That would save you so much time. Yeah. It would probably be beneficial to myself, but um other than that, man, I got the got the boat back today. Um if you're not in the if you're listening to this now and your boat needs to go to the shop, you're too late. I hate yeah, to be the bearer. Behind. Behind I hate to be the bearer of bad news on this one. Um but uh, I had some uh, some carb work done on my boat. I got a uh, old two poke sixty on there, and uh, my man down the way he hooked me up on getting the carbs clean, linkages checked, and all that. Fired it up. She sounds good. She's purring like a kitten. Probably smells good too. Man, I can't wait to put a load on her. I'm gonna tell you that. There, <laughs> like, but it'll be my so. It'll be my first full year hunting that boat hard. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, so I got plenty of work to do. Um, just getting it back. I I got it in the middle of hunting season last year. Well, not in the middle. It was probably the, closer to the beginning. Yeah. Um, but I bought it. We left Arkansas. Uh, I think we hunted it, what, three, four times maybe? Three times? I think Not it was... Even. Yeah, I think it was three times. And for those of y'all who don't know, uh, Andy's got a 17-foot um, TDB, which is the Duck Boat Company. It's um, loosely based. Uh, it's basically a fiberglass duck water. It's a boat made specifically for duck hunting. It's got um, basically like a cockpit raised sides that come up. His got some custom flapper boards on it. So really, it's like a it's a all it's a a rolling floating blind, pretty much. And uh, they're really popular for big, big water diver and sea duck hunting. And this it thing is bad, it is bad to the bone. And it shout is out like, to uh, 
make the guy I bought it for for having those those doors built, man. Those flapper boards are they're Game top notch. I forgot the name of the guy that built them in New Jersey, man. But I would hate to know how much he had invested in those doors and and time because it's they line up perfectly. Yeah, like the craftsmanship on them is phenomenal. Precision um, work, no doubt. Yeah, and I owe it to uh, some guys out there on the duck boat form to get them some measurements. Now that I have the boat back, if you're listening, I will gladly give you the measurements. Um, I, it was a little pause in that. I like I posted a photo a while back, or somebody commented about the boat, and they were they knew somebody had flapper boards on there, or whatever. I was like, yeah, it's my boat now. I'll get you some, you know, I'll get you some measurements, and I've completely failed them for like the last four months slacking yeah man but on the horizon got to make a uh, strong jay stern purchase it did not have grass on it when i bought it last year we hunted it last year with relatively minor problems i would say not being grassed in it didn't hurt us that much um no but it probably could have helped us at all yeah but the only thing i'm worried about is man is some spots that i hunt divers it's kind of a sore thumb if I hunt against the the shoreline. I, I kind of want to button up a little bit. Yeah. The other the other thing I think you need to focus on getting this year is a new shotgun because uh, you had issues with yours the last I'll trust several years. I'll trust you, Rusty. I think that's a me problem, man. It's not a you problem. If you pull the trigger and the and the gun doesn't go bang, I mean it's not for lack of cleaning because I mean well it is. <laughs> you go a long time between cleaning and then like hurry up the night before and spray stuff down. I'm just saying I've done the same thing with the Benelli's that I've had and I've never had a problem. I don't really clean those guns. So we went over it a little bit on the the uh, the sub gauge. I'm definitely I'm looking at some two models really it's it's pinned down to two models uh looking at um m220 20 gauge and then a uh a franke intensity 20 gauge there's only one option if you're asking me so i mean and i had a benelli it's not for the lack of my hate on benelli it's a fitment issue yeah, I mean, if the gun don't fit, you must have quit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm just going to break into the gear conversation for just a second and talk about this past weekend. So, I went up to New York for a depredation hunt, which is a nuisance tag hunt that uh, one of my best friends up there in New York from the Army Garth, he gets these every year for his farm. And so we go up there every year and we call it goose camp and a bunch of us that were in the army together, we get together and we hang out and all stay at Gar's house and just chill for, you know, three days, four days, whatever. And so we get in and all of them are like itching to hunt. So we got there on Thursday evening and Garth had done a little bit of scouting, but he's a full-time farmer. He works like 16 hour days. He doesn't exactly have a ton of time to scout. Well, all those dudes wanted to hunt first thing Friday morning, and I was not about it because driving around the little amount that we did, I didn't see enough to make me say, yeah, I definitely want to hunt here in the morning. 
So I was like, all right, we all go do your thing. I'm going to go scout. So they went up, went, went hunting. I went scouting and I found this, this field and we could hunt anything that was property of his farm, anything that had, that they were the property owner for, or that they leased, we could hunt. So I find this field that belongs to the farm and across the street is. Let me stop uh, you real quick. So is that tag just inclusive to the farmer and his own land and lease land? Yeah, so it belongs to the nuisance permit and tags belong to the farm owner. And then the farm owner can sublet that to any agents that he deems fit to go hunt. And there's no limit. There's no regulation. It just says on the permit, shotgun only. So depending on the area, sometimes like last year's permit, it it said any means of take. So we could have, I could have put a, a pile of corn in the middle of a field and with 500 pounds of tannerite under it and waited for birds to land on it and blown it up. Obviously, we would never do anything like that. But any means of take means any means of take. Like yeah. you do anything you want to rid yourself of the geese. Um, but this year it says shotgun only, which is all we would have used anyway. Nonetheless, every year you have to renew the permit. And so Garth was able to, obviously we had the permit and then we each have to carry a copy with us. And Garth's name is on it as well. So the farm name, the farm owner is on it. And then the farm had, the farm has four, I think you can, he, they can designate four individuals to also be on it. And then any agents of those individuals or the farm can go use it anyway. So I find this field and across the street from this field is a field that doesn't belong to the farm, but it's flooded kind of It's a, I think it was a bean field or I think it was a bean field. Anyway, there's a big area of water down in a, in a low area in it. And there were geese galore in there. I mean, they were loafing. This was in the afternoon. They were just sitting there loafing. So I went to that area uh, the next morning to scout first because it was close to the house. And Gar said they had been in the wheat stubble field across the road that we could hunt. So I get there 630, 645. There's 50 birds already in the field. And I sit there and I watch these birds just dumping and dumping and dumping and dumping. And there's probably two, 250 birds and they're coming in real small flocks, just exactly like you want it. Like picture perfect. Those birds sat there till 10 o'clock. They got up, flew across the street, sat in that flooded field, loafed, all day came back into the field briefly in the afternoon to feed again and then went off to roost. So I was like, it's a done deal. It's a wrap. Get out there, set the blinds before dark. So we, so I knew exactly where the geese were in the field and I wasn't messing around in the morning trying to set the blinds and remember exactly where they were. I knew where they were in the daylight. Sorry, y'all, it's late. I remember, <laughs> I remember where they were in the daylight. So we went out there in the daylight, set the blinds, get there first thing in the morning. All we had to do was set out decoys, only set out maybe two dozen, little over two dozen, real loose spread, real open family groups, you know, a nice early season spread. So here I am thinking that it is about to be a knockdown, drag out, just killer shoot. Well, by 9.30, we had seen three geese come over the tree line and act like they wanted to kind of be in the field, and they went on off and flew off. 
had two groups work behind us that were way behind us and did, never even came anywhere near the field we were in. And that was it. There was no birds across the street in that flooded field. It was like they all disappeared. So we packed up at like 930 and we're like, well, we're going to go over to, to the pond by the heifer farm because there's a pond on that heifer farm that has always got birds on it. They show up at 10 o'clock, they show up every day. And all, like all year round, 365 days a year, they're there. So we pack everything up, get out of the field, and we start heading that way. Lo and behold, we pass a field three miles, two, three miles away from where we were that has every goose in Genesee County sitting in it. All those birds had just literally picked up from this wheat stubble field, went three miles down the road and sat in another wheat stubble field, completely unable to pattern them, had no idea that they were even there. We couldn't hunt the field. It wasn't, it wasn't property of the farm. So whatever, it is what it is. Go to the farm. We're like, we're for sure going to smash these birds. Sit there, wait, wait, wait. By 12 o'clock, no birds there. Call it a wrap. So all that to say, these birds are in a period of change. Crops were starting to get cut. Corn was starting to get cut. You know, these birds are, are in a period of, of, of transition. The, the temperatures dropped down into the 60s at night that week. That was the first. And so these birds are, are getting ready to do whatever. Anyway, trip ended. Not a bird was killed. Plenty of beers were killed. Good times were had. All of that to say that regardless of who you are, they're still wild animals. And as disappointed that I was that we didn't shoot a bird, I can't be mad at the trip because I did everything that I could do to set myself and the guys that we were with up for success. And it just didn't go. It didn't work. I was going to ask you about the weather. That's I would not be mad at a 60 degree night, but it was nice. That is definitely going to stir some, some movement and change up in my opinion. That, and you know, right then is when everybody started chopping corn. So, I mean, yeah, they they cut three fields that week. I think it was three fields that they cut, and there were no birds hitting those fields. The birds, the geese, were still staying in wheat stubble fields, and there's wheat stubble everywhere. Yeah. You know, not staying in one field. It's weird, man. Like birds down here, like in this area, you can pattern them pretty good. You can pretty much, if you got a flock coming, they're pretty much going to stay there for a period of time, a good period of time, and they're going to eat their way through that field and they're going to move to another field there. It's like, poof, no, no rhyme, no reason, no nothing, just poof gone. And it was, it was pretty disheartening because we usually do well there. Like, we, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm interested to see how everyone's going to do on geese this weekend coming up down here. Well, really, I mean, starting Thursday. Uh, yeah. I'll be hunting Thursday. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see, man. I feel like there's been more uh, geese around this year. Um, I completely agree. And and I, I understand that most of them are residents, uh, but all of them, are all residents. of them, yeah. Um, but it just seems like the numbers are more, man. Like the numbers just seem like even where I mean, even where I'm at, which is more, you know, uh, urban, I guess you could say. Um, the numbers are still through the roof. It's it's nothing to ride by a field and see, 
you know, 100, 200 geese out there, which is in the last five years is unheard of. I think predator numbers are down, though. I think there's a lot less coyotes around right now than there was five years ago. Why? I don't know, because not very many people hunt them in our area. But yeah. I, I just don't I don't think predator numbers are as high as they were. And for whatever reason, they just had a great hatch. I mean, around here, man, I I think every every group of geese that I, I mean, every eight, ten in each little group, you know, I mean, there was a lot of birds and a lot of them made it which I don't think is always a thing. You know, I, I think that they're traditionally, they lose a lot of birds, but there's yeah, a, I mean, I've seen a lot more from the hatch this year. So, and it could have been, we didn't get a, a super cold random period in March or April. Like we sometimes do either. So yeah. Instead it climbed. It could have, uh, that could have had something to do with it or I don't know. Either way. I, I definitely agree with you. I think there's a lot of birds this year. Uh, goose wise and i think it's gonna i think it's gonna lead to a good season if folks can get on them i might need to roll over there and check out your lamb for a couple of days and see what's popping over there yeah there's usually a good flock that, that hits that yeah um, um but I, I got a little dove hunt i gotta attend to on saturday so probably I mean, lay off yeah man it's, it's a good time we uh we go down, uh, down east, about halfway between me and you, and uh, it's a um, it's for the Ruatan Club down there. They're awesome barbecue. Normally, birds are flying pretty good. Past couple of years, we've been about limited out by about ten o'clock. So nice. 10, 30, 12 o'clock. We're we're reaching, reaching, knocking down on our numbers. So I'm I'm looking forward to it for sure. Kind of sad I'm not going to be out in the field, but it is what it is. Yeah, man, we'll get there. I mean, teal season's coming right up, too, so we'll definitely be going out. I have not seen the not the first teal down here yet, though. I was talking to a friend of mine down east, and uh, he rode by some pretty good places and talked to a bunch of impoundment owners, and there hadn't been a bird found yet. By the time this episode airs, I'm sure there will be. But uh, I will have already teal hunted by the time this airs. Yeah, well, ordinarily – when you start seeing monarch butterflies and you can about set your clock about two weeks after that, you're going to start seeing teal. And I started seeing monarch butterflies a couple of weeks ago and ain't a teal showed up yet. So um, y'all can call me superstitious if you want to, but it's about fact. And uh, so I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we might it might be one of them them later till which if it is it'll be a good thing because you know season doesn't come in until the thirteenth for two yeah. and sometimes they're already past here they're already moved through here by the time our teal season comes we don't really get we don't get teal that hang around here that long like Florida Florida you can shoot teal pretty much all year yeah and you get might get a random spurt in January but that's about it yeah. And that's way up north, like in a, a, a very secluded hole. Yeah. Or really one body of water. Um, a very faded hole. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Meaning the whole body of water. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm interested to see what's going to happen in teal season. Um, I got two days blocked out where I'm going to make the trip. So in, in 
North Carolina, there's a very small area where you can teal hunt, and I'm going to make the trek down there, um, take some of our buddies and see what we can do. That'd be a good time. Minus the snakes, because uh, before the first frost, your boy doesn't really go out too much in water. So <laughs> I was actually talking with uh, somebody today, and I was like, man, I'm kind of I'm a little, a little worried about that. I'm not going to lie. Dude, I, I don't play with snakes. Period. I, you know what I'm scared of? I know the Florida boys are are gonna listen to this and be like, "Man, you pansies!" Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or or some friggin' snake wrangler dude out there is gonna hear this and be like, "These guys ain't shit." I'm here to tell you, if you <laughs> see me run, you gonna find me a snake, and I'll promise you, I will show you somebody who can run. Won't be I'm outside gonna, of that, but I, I'm not gonna run. I just know that there's a dense population of rattlesnakes down that way. There's a dense population of every snake down that way, dude. Yeah, I got a game warden friend of mine that that works that area, and he said that that place is plumb flat loaded with snakes, like yeah. loaded to the T with snakes. You know what the worst part about it is? There ain't shit around it. Like, no, there is not even a square mile of land. In that area, not like, even not a good <laughs> solid square mile. No, yeah, I'm talking about like dry, like where they can hang out and chill. There, each, I mean, around the you know, around the areas, there might be 15 yards, 20 yards. Like they're just literally waiting there for these teal hunters to show up, just so they can scare the shit out of them. That's why I don't, I don't play, dude. I don't like going in that mess until after the first frost. <laughs> I don't. Period. I don't even hunt the October season normally, which is only like two days. But still, I don't even play with it. It's a big waste. But you can find me in a field where there's no snakes. There's still snakes there too, buddy. Yeah, but I can see them. You could, I mean, like you ain't seeing no snake in the marsh grass, my friend. It ain't happening. Yeah, I mean, like if you, yeah, okay, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yes, he's gonna be right on top of you. Yeah, you well, actually, you're gonna be right on top of him. And there you go. I know a guy who's gotten bit multiple times too. Like not once, but this dude's been bit three times. He's that's turkey hunting though, right? No, no, it's not all turkey hunting, but like he's been bitten three times on three separate occasions by copperheads. Yeah, I'm good. I'm out. That's a that's a uh uh endeavor that is not one of mine. You know, it was my favorite part. I'm not even kidding you. Of all the wonderful things about Alaska, my favorite thing about Alaska was the fact that there was not a single snake there. Never, ever. They don't exist there. Because it's cold. Exactly. And that's what made it a wonderful place. <laughs> I don't, dude, I'm telling you. If there's, I'm petrified of a snake. And that stems from realistically it stems all the way back to my childhood i was never afraid of snakes until my grandpa dude my grandpa we'd be over there and i'd be crappy fishing he had a little he has a little water hole at the blueberry farm and it ain't i mean this thing is not much bigger than an olympic size swimming pool honest to god it's not but he stocked it with crappy from the big pond we'd go catch crappy in the big pond and take it over there and and drop them off and while he was working, I'd be fishing. And that dude would sneak through the blueberry bushes. He'd, he'd be over there trimming blueberry bushes and find a little snake 
and he'd come up behind me and throw that snake on me and scare the ever living shit out of me. And then what sealed my fate with the whole snake situation, I come, I was, I couldn't have been seven, eight years old. And I come out of grandma's house after lunch and I was so excited. I was going to go fishing in the big pond on the boat by myself. And I was ready to go because normally my grandpa had to go with me, you know, and because they were worried I was going to flip the boat over. And we're talking a 10, 12 foot aluminum John boat here with a paddle. So I go, I go over to the little barn where all my fishing stuff is. I grab everything and I'm like walking out of the barn and right there by the magnolia tree is a snake sitting at the bottom of it. So I freak out, drop everything I got, run inside, get grandpa. <laughs> grandpa comes out here, kills a snake. So I'm like, all right, cool. Snake's done. We're good. Pick all my stuff up, go start walking. And right by the little other barn is this pine tree is hollow at the top. And um, they have owls that nest in it and all kinds of stuff. Well, sent it to base of that tree was another snake freaked out ran and got grandpa come back over there he didn't believe me i was like grandpa kill the snake so he goes over there kills that snake here we go again this is round three i'm walking down to the, now I'm, i've made it another 20 yards lo and behold is another snake kills that one i put all my stuff in the boat and the boat is pulled up on the bank of the pond so put all my stuff in the boat and i push the boat off and this time, there's a snake under the boat. Dude, I'm telling you, no joke, no lie on God, four. And I didn't see, you know, I didn't see snakes up there all the time. It was not like an everyday thing to see a snake there. But four back to back to back was a sign that your boy should not mess with no snakes. I was, dude, I'm telling you, I was scared to, to walk around that place for months, petrified. Well, like even like the the pole barns and stuff like that, your grandpa keeps pretty clean, man. It's not like it's oh yeah, they're very clean. Of, it's not like a bunch of clutter around there to where they could hide out and stuff like that. So. And these are brown water snakes, so yeah, they're there. They're there eating, you know, eating bird nests and you know whatever hanging out there by the by the pond. But even still, I was over there a couple weeks ago and uh, and I saw a snake down by the pond but I, I mean i was 30 yards away from him. i'm telling you me at seven eight nine years old however old i was pushing that boat off after already seeing three snakes and seeing another one five foot in front of me me and i mean we we had a little stare down for a <laughs> and i i mean i already put my stuff in the boat so at this point like the boat is you know it's tied to a little piece of rebar so it ain't going nowhere but the boat is out there with all my fishing stuff. I can't jump over the snake and into the boat. And me and the snake are having like this stare down. Because <laughs> I'm I'm at this point, I'm frozen, terrified, can't move, can't scream. Just I'm just shook. And I'm looking this thing down. I run back up. And dude, I'm telling you, he did not believe every single time I went back to him after the first one, he didn't believe me. I I just want to see you in between the the boat and the snake, and what you your reaction, dude. We were up, so two years ago. Went up same deal. Went up to New York uh, goose hunting, and Garsh got a pond out there, and he's got like a little. It's like I'm gonna call it. I'm not gonna call it a cat. It's basically like a shed that they converted into a cabin that nobody literally ever sleeps in. They could if they wanted to, and so we're over there just chilling and drinking beer and whatnot, and. Garth, I'm in my truck on a phone call 
and Garth like walks up to the truck. And so I roll the window down. Wouldn't you know it? That bastard holds up a snake right there at my window. I thought he was going to throw it in the window, dude. I no kidding. I jumped from the front seat to the back seat in one fluid motion went out and it was, <laughs> I don't, I do not play with no snakes, man. I'm telling y'all. Oh man. I have worried <laughs> about him though. I, I'm uh I'm a little concerned about him, but it'll be all right. I got another one. Everybody messes with me about snakes because they know I'm terrified of them. So me and Chris, I'm working in the sheriff's office, all right? And me and Chris get a I get a and actually I get a call that is subject has snake has copperhead in his basement, needs officer assistance. So I I think even I came Chris will be able to verify this. But I think I came over the radio and was like, yeah, 10, 12, send another unit. Like <laughs> 10, 12 being negative, negative, send another unit. And uh, I think they repeated the call like, no, uh, actually, uh, you're you're going to go. <laughs> so I, I got on the phone. I was just like 10, 4, you know, and I just threw the radio down and I called Chris. I was like, hey, bro. <laughs> I need you to handle this call. I ain't doing it. Like I'm not doing it. And uh, he's like, dude, I'll I'll meet you out there. I'll 25 you out there. Let's meet you out there. And uh, so he gets out there. And most of the time when somebody calls and says, dude, you would not believe. People will call up there and be like, there is a freaking Loch Ness monster in my goldfish pond. You know what I mean? Or there is a rabid bear in my trash can. And it'll be like, a squirrel or a raccoon or something, you know what I mean? So I get out there, just the thought or the chance that it was a copperhead or a snake in general, I was out already. Chris gets there, walks downstairs. He don't care about snakes. Now he's the same way about spiders though. So he walks down to the basement and sure enough, on top of this dude's woodworking table is a copperhead cold up, ready to like go beast mode on somebody. Chris walks right over there, grabs a hoe out of the corner, Chops this thing's head off, and I'm already in my car because I already know, <laughs> I already know what he's gonna do. So I'm already in my car, doors up, windows or windows up, doors locked, and Chris standing right there at my window, holding the snake dangling out. Bro, I ain't ever cleared a call so fast in my life. I'm out, peace. I'm out. Like I'm just, I'm not, I'm not here for that, bro. Like everybody messes with me about it too. I just, uh, what bothers me, I don't mind them in the daytime. I'm completely cool with it in the daytime. As long as they keep their distance, I'll look at them and say, how you doing, dog? But like in the way off, we're talking about, we're supposed to be talking about (laughs) gear and preseason prep. My preseason prep apparently for this episode is stay away from snakes. Um, But uh, it's the nighttime issue that I have, man. I've been to too many boat ramps in the dark and just, they'll be sitting right up there on the, on the little, you know, on the ramp, on the ramp or on the access way or whatever it is. And I'm just like, man, that warm concrete. Yeah. But you don't get that. Well, you know, I mean, especially considering here in a week or two, the temperatures will start dropping at night. Yeah. So got to find that warm place. Um, Let's get back on topic though. Yeah. Let's redirect now that we've got like, 15 minutes left in this episode, we can redirect and talk about important stuff. After y'all just listen to my deathly fear of snakes for the last 15 minutes. But, uh, so I got some places that, uh, some places that I want to scout here. Um, 
I will actually probably take the time to ride through them whenever I go to uh, Teal Hunt, just because Teal Hunting is going to be very centric. Um, other than that, man, I'm just going to make sure the boat's ready and then uh, get those sea duck rigs ready and kind of piddle around with my other decoys. I think I, I got some diver rigs that need to be either A, reworked or buy some new line for them. You need to figure out a way. We can talk about this for a second. How we rig our sea ducks and divers. And this might be something that would be helpful for our listeners that that do this kind of thing. Let me just say first, there is no one way. There is no right way. But I can tell you from experience, there is a wrong way. <laughs> so, yeah. The way that I do it is I... First off, I, I run a dozen on a line. I'm not the guy that, that has this big bucket of decoys that he's clipping on. And, and no, uh-uh. I use slotted bags, one dozen at a time. And I have, I do 90 foot main lines for my diver rigs and sea duck rigs. All my long line stuff is all the same. It is 100% a replica of itself every single time I do it, no matter what. I have a 90 foot main line. And I put a bird, I believe it's every five or five and a half foot, whatever, divide 90, divide 90 by 12. And, and that's how far apart your birds need to be. You have a, you have about a few feet on the end of each line between your birds. And then I have a, and I keep the, the birds themselves inside of a slotted bag and shove the, shove the extra line down at the bottom, put the bird on top of it. Then if I'm hunting shot, if I'm hunting water, that's only four or five foot deep, I don't need any extensions. But a lot of times you wind up finding yourself hunting in something that's a little deeper. So I made extensions. I have 10 foot extensions and I have 20 foot extensions and I keep those on electrical cord reels from Lowe's. They're like 10, 10 bucks a piece. That way, if I'm finding myself in deeper water, I have a 10 foot line or a 20 foot line to compensate for whatever depth of water I'm in. And you've been with me when we do this. All you have to do is you clip, you put your, if you're using an extension, you wrap it around. I use 10 pound plate weights, like gym weights. Uh, Andy actually built me a little tree. That's it's basically a, you know, two by fours and a pipe and the weights slide on top of it, put it in the middle of the boat. Everything's easy to grab, grab a weight, loop it on, um, and then clip in your gang rig, throw the weight out and then just feed the decoys right out. You can set out, as many decoys as you want to set out in a very short amount of time. The only other, the only other way that I've done it is using leaf bags. So instead of a slotted bag, it's in a leaf bag. And when you put them up, you just literally feed them into the bag. You don't try to lay it in there or put it in there all fancy because it'll get messed up. But if you just throw them in there and then clip the clip, the gang rig clip on the end, edge of the leaf bag, when you go to put it up, it won't get tangled up and it'll just feed right on up. But efficiency is key when it comes to that kind of stuff. And we covered that when we talked about safety, when we talked about um, workflow and, and getting something together to where everybody in the boat knows what they need to do when they need to do it and how and simplifying your, your equipment before season is imperative. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, so I've, I've right now I am running 12 slots um and i am gonna have to break away from that 
just because of the space in the boat. And I think I'm going to go to leaf bags. I haven't necessarily decided yet. So it, the boat that I have is a, it's a 1994, I think a 94 or 96. I can't remember which one. Um, but decoys have gotten a lot bigger, like oh. a, a lot bigger. So they, like I have shelves in there, but they don't really fit in the shelves. And I could put two dozen in the bottom of the boat, like on the, like in the floor below the shelf or whatever. Uh, but the shelf now really has become a, a catch off or, you know, anchor ropes and guns, shells. I mean, the shelf yeah. is still very usable. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's still very usable. And I, I had thought about tearing it out, but I'm going to leave it there just because it's, it's nice to keep stuff there. Um, especially pour it out with the slotted bags fit under it though. It doesn't really add any space. So I've done the math on it and I can have, I could fit like four dozen in slotted bags and still carry probably three people um, and myself at the the rear of the rig. Um, I just, I don't, I'm not a fan of that because I, I'm, I'm almost positive that I can get two dozen in a leaf bag. I would think so. You just need to make sure it would get, it would get weird if you are clipping them on there and the lines get crossed or tangled. That's, that's the only problem about, doing it that way so what i thought about doing was taking and cutting like a piece of um like so put a dozen in there and then cut like uh um election board you know what i'm talking about mm. like the the uh boards that they um little dick oh, tommy yeah yeah, yeah, like yeah little little dick tommy for whatever I don't want to say sheriff because that, that's just going to be insulting to you, but uh, and Dill, <laughs> and Dill. Uh, little Dick Tommy for, uh, you know, city council or whatever, but uh, like set a dozen in then set one of those on there, cut the shape to fit the, the, the bag and then drop another dozen in there. And then just run my clips all the way to the top of the bag. Your cords are going to go down below that. Your, your, your crab pot line is going to fall below that. And then it's just going to uh, Yeah. That's probably going to be a mess. Yeah, I'm 100% telling you it will be a mess. The yeah. What you can do is those leaf bags are collapsible. So you can put a dozen in each leaf bag, zip it up, up to the clip, and then stack another leaf bag on top of it, and it'll collapse that down and save you room. Yeah. I'm really trying to find a way to get six dozen. That's my goal is six dozen. Yeah, I mean, I think – and this is just kind of going back into the, you know, the, the theme of the episode or whatever, but that's a preseason prep thing. Like you yeah. need to know 100% what you're getting into before it's too late. And you're sitting out there the night before trying to figure all this out. Yeah. I mean, for sure. And that's one of the things that, you know, I'm kind of glad to have the boat back. I still got plenty of time to, to work something out. Let's work some things out. Um, also, uh, kind of touching on it uh ensuring that your anchors are proper and this really matters for like the diver and the sea duck guys but you need to have a you need to understand your rig and then the system you have for your anchor um and what holds and what doesn't hold um where i mean i mean i might have to change anchor setups twice in a day you know or might have to go with something completely different, you know. So you have Where to really go wrong is not having enough chain on their anchor. I agree. Yeah, completely. If you have a, a 17 foot boat, and this is just this is the proper way. I'm not saying you have to do this, but 
if you have a 17 foot boat, you need 17 foot of chain. Yeah. That's, that's the right answer. Um, you can get away with way less. You can get away with eight or 10 foot of chain, but you should have for every foot of boat you have, you should have that amount of feet of chain. If you, if you really want to really want to make sure that it's good. And that a lot of people don't understand what the chain even does. Chain holds that, that anchor line at the bottom and gives, gives a, the anchor something to, to grab onto from a horizontal surface, as opposed to if it was just attached to a rope, it would be pulling at an angle all the time and the, the anchor will never set. Um, so a lot of, if you're experiencing drift when you're setting your anchor, that's why you ain't got enough. You either don't have enough road let out or anchor line let out, or you don't have enough chain. Yeah. I mean, I, I run two anchors and a hundred foot of line. Like, yeah. and it, it, I will say this, it's not a cheap endeavor, but no. I hold rock steady the whole entire time. And you can adjust that to whatever you need, you know? And I guess I'll go through like a, a base setup for that and something maybe that people would try. So I'll throw one anchor. That anchor will catch. I will let it out a little bit, go to a standard distance away, throw that anchor out. And I clip in the center of my uh, anchor main line. I clip a, um, like a, a bumper. Yeah. I just throw it in the water. And that way the line stays up top whenever it comes to it. Whenever I come back, I set my anchor line prior to any decoys. Um, so that way you have a, a visual of how far you need to be away. And then from there, I will set my decoys and then come back to the bumper. And I will either start, depending on the way the wind is, I'll either start bow. I normally will start bow. I pull the bow in. And then I will pull the stern of the boat to the line. And then I will tighten it up as needed. Yeah. So what, what he's saying most simply is he's got one line with two anchors and anchor on each end. And, and that setup right there is, it's pretty foolproof and I use it a lot and it's worked really, really good for me um, as well. And, and I think that it, it, it's a lot easier to deal with than having to, I will say you always set your upwind anchor first. That way you're drifting back yeah. down current or downwind, whichever is stronger. Um, but anyway, just, just helpful hints from, uh, from many frustrated days of trying to do it any other way. And, and that's what we've come up with for ourselves. But um, other than that, man, I, I can't think of any other, I guess, gear that, that I'm going to have. I do need to order some more shells. I'm a little behind the eight ball on that. If you're in September and or almost September and you haven't ordered shells yet, you're kind of behind. Luckily I have enough to, to get me through the first couple hunts, but I'm definitely going to. I'm, uh, I'm right there with you. I think I have about half a case left, so yeah, be able to rock out for a little while, but I definitely got to put an order in. I also picked up a new camera a couple weeks ago and I'm pretty stoked about that. It's uh, I picked the A7S three from Sony, and I wound up getting the new seventy to two hundred G Master lens, the second version of it. And I have to say, man, I am starstruck with that camera. It is a beast. It says G Master in it. Like, how could it not be a beast? <laughs> yeah, I mean, G Wagon, G Master, whatever, same thing. 
Um, no, nah, but I'm I'm pretty pumped about that. I put it to work a few times, and I'm ready to I'm ready to see what the season holds with that. And I definitely am gonna have to buy another computer because I'm shooting in in 4K and I'm shooting in a high bit rate, and the files are huge, and it is very difficult to edit on a standard MacBook. So I'm going to have to definitely buy a new computer. There's no doubt. And that uh, a little bit of an upgrade. Yeah, it's uh, I pro- I've I've upgraded myself out of my computer, which I wasn't exactly planning on buying a new computer this season, but I'm gonna have to. So it is what it is, and the footage will be even better from it. So, but yeah, it's something that I mean, at the end of the day. I would say that we've kind of gotten into wanting to capture the moment a little bit better. Oh, 100%. It's become a focus of mine. Like I'm going, like I'm going hunting on Thursday. I'm not even going to bring a gun. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, I'm bringing a camera and I'm going to run that. And um, it definitely adds a whole different element to your hunt. And it's something that I'm super excited about being able to do even more of this year. Frankly, I enjoy, but, being behind the lens probably more being than being behind the trigger. And I think that's just where I'm at in my waterfowl career, if you will. And obviously there's, there's business reasons behind that. You know, the business needs content, the business needs footage, but at the same time, man, I'm just overwhelmingly passionate about running a camera. It's something that something that, that really pushes me in my opinion to be, a more well-rounded outdoorsman and it's definitely given me a better respect for the sport. We see it at a different angle, not to oh, be cliche 100%. about it, but like, I know when I, like when I get behind it, like I, I appreciate it a little bit more when you're behind the gun it, it's kind of fast paced, but when you're yep. behind the lens, you can, you can stare into the lens and move away from the lens, see something else, move the lens to it. You're not, you're not rushed to really do that. You're focused on the surroundings a lot more than you are focused on on one thing, and so it's yeah. definitely changed the game for me. But we're, uh, not, uh, we're, we're getting not. we're getting close to our time limit, brother. You got anything else for the people? I, I do not. I kind I hope it doesn't feel like a waste, but uh, I've enjoyed. Oh, they got to learn about my fear of snakes. They got to learn about a couple things we're picking up this year. They got some education on how we do our long lines and uh, it's been a good episode, man. I've, I've enjoyed this and I'm, I'm quite positive that there's quite a few people out there that'll probably try to attack me with a snake next time I see him. So I'm about to put one in my blind bag. You better not bro. You quit playing. <laughs> it's going to be January and you're going to still freak out, bro. That ain't even a joke. We ain't, we ain't going down that road. But uh <laughs> All right, we're looking forward. Next week we'll have Dylan back, so he. Uh, I'm excited to have him on on next episode. I miss him when he's not here. He just he adds something else to it. <laughs> it's that piece of color we need. Yeah, ain't no doubt. Between you talking and my mono voice, I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. the people need the people need Dylan. West. <laughs> they need D West, but uh, All right. we. In- we enjoyed it this week guys and if you would please hit that subscribe button as well as uh leave us a review and we would gladly appreciate it but until next time deuces